I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Sam Monson, not flying solo because we got the boss. we got Chris Collinsworth <laughs> standing in for Steve. Um, you didn't bring your fro, though, to this this podcast. Oh, my God. How That was unbelievable. Did, did his little uh, yeah, picture he, change? He, he is, it, a, is it full yeah, throat out? He now? gave it a little bit of a, a little bit of a beefy fro on the back oh there. Oh, my God. Like, I'd, I'd always heard about it, right. you know, but I never I never imagined. It's more glorious in person. Yeah. You, you know who else was like that was uh, Anthony Munoz, my teammate. Oh, really? He showed me a picture. He was a pitcher, believe it or not, at USC in college. Um, and I mean, this guy's six foot six and weighs 300 and whatever pounds <laughs> and had an afro out to there. I'd be like, I'd be hitting from the on deck circle. I wouldn't even get any. And he goes, I said, were you wild? He goes, oh my God, I had no idea where it was going. What What's truly amazing about Steve is that, so he's like somewhere between six, eight and six, 10, depending on if you take the listed height or his actual height. Um, and you kind of accept that, right? You get used to it just cause he's around the whole time. But when he has the fro out, he's like seven foot four. So suddenly you're like, wow, that guy is huge. I listened, just, to, I listened to the show when he came on. And it was like, you just would start laughing at random times. And that was like, you're, that was 20 minutes after like he first walked in. It took me a clear 20 minutes to just to get myself together because I, we'd be, you know, he comes in and there's like five minutes of tears laughing. But then he sort of sits down and we're preparing for the podcast and stuff. But every time I would look up, I just immediately burst out laughing. Like I couldn't, just the sight of it was just, it just had me completely lose myself. But it, this is like the big show, man. I'm, I'm, I know. I'm like a little nervous here. I'm coming on and you guys have built an incredible audience and, and the millions and well, millions gonna, of people. Millions as, as and millions, exactly. And we're going we're gonna to send some to you, to the Chris Collinsworth podcast there featuring you go. Richard I Sherman. a few. You yeah. over there with your, you know, your fancy names and your celebrity <laughs> and your, your NFL players. We'll, uh, we'll get you to millions and millions of listeners as well. Good. Um, you're, you're taking off later today. I'm curious, are you running away from the cicada apocalypse that's bearing down upon us? You haven't us? been here during no. that, have you? No. I mean, First it time. is. It, it's, it's biblical almost. <laughs> I mean, it, I, this is insane. Like, they, every 17 years, apparently, this plague of cicadas comes out of the ground. And does I don't know what for a couple of days, but apparently it's bad. Well, apparently we do know what right. they do, and then they go back <laughs> in the ground for seventeen days. But yeah, I had one. I was on the golf course the other day and had one fly on my shoe, and I was like, "Oh hell, what is this?" When they get to like six, the ground yeah, the ground is like, like sixty-four degrees or something, something like they, that. They yeah, and they start. But I mean, the noise is unbelievable, yeah, and they will to get be decibels or something everywhere. I mean, I, I mean, they're just like everywhere. <laughs> 
Yeah, like I, I didn't grow up with any of this stuff. Yeah. You don't have any idea what's going on. It's, I don't think we insane. even have cicadas in Ireland. So the whole thing is like I've seen a few of them out in the, the morning walk with the dog now. So we have we got a, a dog over Christmas and my wife is reading all this stuff. She's like, you got to stop the dog eating them all because they're going to be jumping all over. It sounds ridiculous, but so I've seen like a couple of them now on on walks, but I'm waiting for the the swarm to, I, I'm, to come in. I'm just in. telling you, you will not believe it when it happens. <laughs> you will not believe it. So you know, the the thing that's so interesting for me about your guys' show is a you cover soup to nuts. It's a great. We actually have had a couple of investors who kind of fell in love with oh, your yeah? guys' show. Okay, learning how to bet and learning all about the game and all, all that kind of stuff. But that was the introduction. They found your podcast and then ended up <laughs> bringing money to the table. So the number of people that have like told us, you know, we're talking to NFL people or talk, that have like told us that they listen to the show, and you know, I don't know what your initial reaction to that is supposed to be. But for me, it's always like. Oh no! Like people, what have we been I, I saying? I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah. That's like when the dudes. Go, so when I go to, uh, you know, we interview the the one team or the other, the right. home team. So we go out and we watch their practice, and inevitably, you know, a couple of guys will come walking over. But when a three hundred and twenty pound guy is walking towards me, all With I'm purpose. thinking is. God, what was his grade? Right. You know, like is is he coming mad or is he coming happy? Is he coming? You know, because it's always and I've had guys during the course of of um, interviews that like I, I say something about him, like you know he's he's he plays out of control or he's you know um, I, it wasn't quite that bad. I can't remember exactly what it was, and and then their mothers or their sister will tell them about it, and then. It's like becomes this life of their yeah. own, and they literally come over like ready to fight. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I I go, what is it again? You know, so it's but people can take one thing yeah. that you said. I'm sure running backs love you guys. You know, I'm, I'm sure. sure those guys are all ready to attack you at any given time. Yeah, I'm sure that was one of the questions I meant to ask you. Is like how how many times have we? But we PFF rather than me and Steve. I'm sure. But we're, you and Steve a lot. But yeah, uh, go look, ahead. Look, we, George and Eric are getting into it a little I'm bit. I'm sure now. That, George, that's George made my life in Pittsburgh really uncomfortable <laughs> so, with so Big Ben up there. That's what I was going to ask. How much have we gotten you into trouble on these, you know, production meetings or when you talk to guys every week before those games? Well, I'll just say this: I started listening a lot more, <laughs> <laughs> so I had some defense for what you guys like. I can get in enough trouble with what I say, right? But now it's like I'm multiplying it by my my 600 kids that work for me now, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it gets. This is the thing I think that I I think I have developed a greater appreciation for anybody who is like paid to talk for a living and does it for like a decent amount of time, like just the the ability these people have to not say stupid things is incredible. Like Colin Cowherd, right? That dude is doing four hours of TV a day every day. Like, if he comes out of a week with only saying one dumb thing, that's a miracle. Well, you know, the other part of it is, like, when I was doing the Thursday night and the Sunday night. Right. So I'm literally on live national television to the two biggest audiences, yeah. usually, of the week. And that's, whatever, six hours or so. I'm speaking live 
to America more than the president of the United States. Way more. Yeah. I mean, there's no question, right? It's not even close. And I've got a bigger audience, too. <laughs> and, and you know how long I can go without saying something <laughs> stupid. It, you know, I mean, we're all in that. cat. Plus, you're, you're, you get caught up in the emotion of the game. And, and I always say that um, when, when I forget that I'm announcing the game and I just start watching the game yeah. is when I actually start enjoying the broadcast. As soon as the opening on camera is over with, which is the worst thing. Because all you can do is screw it up, you know? You come out and it's like, everybody knows you. <laughs> you've like rehearsed something and you've written it down and you've thought about it. And you come out and you go, you know, and you- And it's also like the most, every time you rehearse something like that, you feel like you need, you feel like there's a way to do it and you need to nail it. And if you don't, if you deviate from the rehearsal and you screw it up, the whole thing goes to hell and you just feel like an idiot. You, you know, it's the best thing that happened was a stupid slide in. There. I was going to, I didn't make you do that. Did you? you yeah, well, I should have. I, gonna... I mean, I, I do it for every radio show or whatever. <laughs> That's that I'm what I was going to ask. Like, like on a scale okay. of one to 10. Chris, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. Okay. So like a Zoom call. Hey, yeah. you know, like on a yeah. scale of one to 10, how tired is that getting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's lame. But the, the, the whole thing, it was so funny because. It, it, it totally surprised us. We didn't know it was becoming like a thing, yeah. you know? I was like a meme and all this different stuff. Um, but back when Al and I could sit next to each other, they would put a mark on the desk and a mark for me. And so they said, like, all right, just straddle your legs around that mark. Oh, okay. So we're sitting there and our director, Drew Eskoff, comes on. He goes, Chris, get your ass out of the shot. I go, what do you mean? I go, they gave me my mark. I got my legs straddled around the things. This is Al's like solo moment. This is in his contract. He has to, you know, have this. So I was like, what do you want me to do? He said, just lean out of the shot. And I go like this. And so I do like this, right? And so Al does his thing. And then he says, eh, let's bring in our partner, Chris Collins, da, da, da. And then, so I gotta get back in the shot. So I, I do this, right? And so apparently the guy from Bleacher Report um, put together this thing that was like a, like a World Cup soccer match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on a jumbotron and like 5,000 people in this bar watching this thing. And all of a sudden they're all watching and they go crazy. <laughs> well, the video is of me sliding in. And so I do this and it goes crazy. So you know me, how unsophisticated I am. <laughs> I was like, God, they really like this stuff. And then they're like, hey, you idiot, man. They, they, put that, they put that over over the thing. I go, oh, I got it. But then it was like, we couldn't get away from yeah. it. It was like, it, it was ridiculous. like a real thing. That's like, that I think is my most endearing story I've heard you tell that you thought that that little meme clip was, was Oh like yeah, I thought thing. it was real. Yeah. But not for long. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Well, you know, right. but I was you like. You can go on like yeah. a week thinking, dude, nah, nah, these people love that. I was, nah, I, come so on. It's weird. Like, like when the stuff you have to do just to, you know, like you say, lean out of a shot. I, you know, we were doing all this stuff recording from home now with COVID and all this kind of stuff. I have this office chair, but it's got like a ridiculous big headrest behind me, right? And when you're looking at the camera, the headrest kind of comes out. It looks like Steve, right? It's got like <laughs> wings at the back of my hair. My dad calls me up one day. He's like, you can't sit in front of that chair. It looks ridiculous. Like I was trying to work out what the hell was on your head. And then even when I figured out it was the office chair, it still looked absurd. You can't be in that chair. But I don't have a different chair. So I was like doing something yesterday where I had to turn it sideways like this, and then it's still in the shot. So I now have to like lean over here 
And all of this just to do exactly what you're saying, just to be out of the shot. I finally figured out for that opening on camera, nobody cares what I say. Oh, of course. Like for the Super Bowl, you, you get on there and I don't care who you are when you start thinking, hey, 120 million people watching me right. do this. And then I started going to Super Bowl parties and I go, they can see me, but they ain't listening <laughs> but like, to me. He, and yeah. I could come out here and sing Yankee Doodle and, and nobody he, would know the difference. And even if they were... Like the game, Super Bowl particularly, the game's been built up for two weeks. Everyone knows what's happening. Like, what are you going to say in 20 seconds to sum up what's about to happen that's, you know, <laughs> nobody has thought of leading into that game? Well, and the other part of it is in today's media world, if you say something that's going to get you in trouble, doesn't matter if you said it in front of 120 million people or on a local radio show. In fact, if anything, it's, it's the local thing that's going to take It kills off you all more. because you always get more relaxed. And yeah. so NBC always wants me to go on radio shows and promote Sunday night football. I'm like, you want me to go on a radio where 20,000 people might be listening to promote the show. And if they're listening to me on the radio, I'm pretty sure they're right. already gonna be watching the TV game. I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but, but there is real danger because you relax in front of like this, you know, I mean, uh, we, we can Our clearly... show is the most dangerous thing you oh, do now. No question, no question. Um, so you saw yesterday the uh, Anthony Tresh's thing about uh, saying Tyreek Hill might be the best deep threat of all time, and, like, the internet jumped on him, right? It's Randy Moss, if you never heard of this guy, and, you know, the, the other people as well, depending on how far back you want to go. And Mike Parker dropped into the Slack channel that, you know, Chris Collinsworth, some guy Chris Collinsworth, has this pretty gaudy-looking yards-per-reception figure. My question is, how many people that know who you are now do you think even know that you were this pretty good NFL player back in the day? I think most people think I was a quarterback. Right. Like, a lot of, you know, they just assume I play quarterback because everybody who's on TV yeah. is a quarterback, you know? Um, I, I always thought that was one of the advantages that I had because – I, I, you were a safety, right? Didn't you play safety? At the end, when I slowed down, I was a yeah, safety. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's <laughs> me too. But, I, I mean, at some point in my life, like my first two positions when I first started, I was 119 pounds in a 120-pound league. So I was offensive tackle and an edge rusher. Wow. Right? So, and then I got moved to guard. I never played center. <laughs> But I played tight end. My first snap, or one of my first snaps in the NFL was a preseason game against Hugh Green, who was drafted like fourth overall from Pittsburgh. And they put me at tight end. They, the Bengals lined me up at tight end. And Hugh, I knew him from the draft process. <laughs> We're both rookies. He goes, the hell are you doing here? And he like picks me up and like smashes me down in <laughs> the crowd. Like, come on, dude, you had to do that? I go, it's, you know. So, but I've played quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, cornerback, safety. I was the kicker, uh, the punter. I was the holder. Um, I've been on chasing kicks. Yeah, I, I, I did that in the NFL one time. And I, I literally have played almost every position there is on the field at some point or another. So we get a lot of information about quarterbacks. And when I try to do in our broadcast on Sunday night is I really try to call it, take a lap around the field. Like I want them to feel like they've seen the game from every position at some point 
in the game. The hardest thing to do is that um, we we have a camera shot from behind the defense, uh, but it's the 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 camera shot from the sky cam is just so good. Yeah, it's always hard to take a replay of something from the defensive side. But I, I wish we could do that more because I think people would really enjoy seeing the stunts and the loops and the blitzes yeah. and some of the things that set up the great defensive plays. Yeah, some of the some of the angles that exist now, particularly on your guys' broadcast with the the number of just shots you have are incredible. Like, I mean, I don't even know. When I, like, I go every once in a while, the Bengals will play on a Thursday night or something, so I get to go to the game or Monday night. And I go up there and I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I'm just like drinking a beer and, you know, I, I can't even like get into the game because I have so many different ways to watch so many different, it's like flying an airplane, you know, yeah. and the, you know, like I can do so many things in the booth to see so many different things. And when I'm out there, it just feels like it's slow motion or something. Yeah. You're like, uh, you're like the, like that limitless movie, you know, the guy takes the drug and he can suddenly see everything and you know, the brain's working like 200 miles an hour. And then when he goes off of it, he's cold turkey. He's back to just regular human brain. That's what you're like when you get out of the booth. Now you're just sitting there with your own two eyes and one camera angle. Like, what is this? Well, I, saw, I saw Elon Musk say one time um, on a podcast that pretty soon they're going to have a chip that they can. Have you heard this? I've heard him talk about stuff like that. That they yeah. can put, it's like a chip like that, that they're going to put in your brain. And it effectively will, anything your cell phone can do, yeah. you now will have, your brain will have access to. So if you want names, numbers, facts, data, that you're going to, I'm like, for sure, the minute <laughs> this comes out, if you needed an experimental dog, I want to try this. Yeah. Put, because that's my whole life is trying to memorize anyway. all these yeah. names and numbers. And I'm like, oh, God. And then, you know, it's like a final exam in school. Then when you leave that game, you got to kind of do a brain dump and get it out of your brain so that 18 isn't 18 and the yeah. next team. Like almost every game you watch on television, number 18 does something and they call 18 on the other team. Like, you know, you oh, hear yeah. that stuff yeah, all the time. The, so. the worst thing that happened to me in school was the the point in your school life where they handed you a calculator, right? Because before then you've been doing mental arithmetic, you got to work all this stuff out in your own head. And then somebody hands you a calculator, you're like, never need to know that anymore, <laughs> gone. Now, so we got, you know, Eric and George, these guys with PhDs in math. I, like my math stopped in intermediate GCSE level in school, which is like, you know, somewhere in the middle of like the middle level at the bottom, like nothing. And all my mental arithmetic disappeared because I got given a calculator that I could take around with me the whole time. Phone makes it even worse because the thing's with you 24-7. Like phone has just destroyed people's ability to think for themselves. I, I think so. So I'm right. all in for the second they oh, could put the that minute, in their head again. Just put the chip in. I, I, I told Al one time I was because I really felt like that, that playing football was – as much a mental exercise as it was a physical exercise, especially because we had a lot of reads in our offense. So I had to read the defense, make the break, get on the same page with Kenny, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I told Al one time on the air, I go, you know, because I really was. Math was like, I did really well in math. And, and, but I told him when I was getting ready for a game, I used to do the multiplication tables. Like I would just pick out random, 
six times eight, you know all this different stuff and i would do it and so then this idiot instead of me just, just letting me like make a statement he goes hey yeah what's nine times seven what's seven times you know and he starts firing math problems at me. i'm like would you stop and go back to the game crazy <laughs> um what was i gonna ask you off the back of that um that's that story is completely taken the point i was gonna make out of my head um <laughs> Wow, that's the closest that they've come to just locking up before. Uh, all right, so when Julio Jones is now potentially on the trade market, like everyone has thought this is going to be happening for a while, um, Atlanta is reported to actually be interested in doing it. The Falcons, by the way, this offseason, is it me or is their sort of putting this out into the world been relatively clumsy in terms of, Atlanta would be interested in dealing the number four overall pick. And anyway, so they were apparently looking to move him. I, somebody asked me this yesterday, and I, was, I didn't have that many teams that made sense for it anymore. I think a lot of them made sense before the draft, but like once the draft happens, you draft your first-round wide receiver or whatever, and the number of spots that are available for Julio Jones kind of shrink. Where do you see him landing? Well, you know, it's been the speculation a little bit here lately, too. But New England spent more on free agency this offseason than any team in the history of the league. Mm. And Robert Kraft summed it up best when he said, we used to laugh at teams who yeah. spent a lot of money on free agency. I want to say it's like $175 million in guarantees, some, right. some crazy Huge. number, right? And obviously – they're reacting to Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. I mean, there's just no other way to think about it. And if if Julio Jones, we've seen great players at the end of their career, you know, Randy Moss in particular, what he was able to do when he came over. Uh, if he looks at New England as being a Super Bowl team, which is an interesting discussion right, in yeah. and of itself. It used to be, Hey, I'm at the end of my career. I've made a bunch of money. Now I want a ring. Do people still think that way about New England? Or now are they thinking about, well, I'd really then want to go to Tampa or Kansas City or San Francisco or somewhere. San Francisco would be a scary spot for him. Yeah. You know, if you had all that that sort of offense built around the run game, the bootleg, the play action, and oh, by the way, somebody's got to cover Julio one-on-one -on -one with you know, Kittle and Debo Samuel and all those guys, that would be an interesting spot. Um, but it all comes down to money. I could see New England. I, I don't know why. I just kind of, if I had to say who, I would say New England. And it's interesting. They, they, they're obviously pivoting towards this, like, two tight end, heavier style of offense. Yeah. You make two different tight ends. The joint third best paid tight end in the NFL, Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry. So, and nobody ran less two tight end sets than the Patriots last year. Obviously, this offense is shifting in that direction, and you sort of think intuitively that that doesn't leave a spot for a, an elite wide receiver or a number one wide receiver, but there's always a spot for the number one guy. It's two and three that miss out when you start you know, pivoting towards two tight end sets. It's like suddenly maybe Nelson Aguilar has less of a role if you bring in a Julio Jones, but there's always space for like an elite number one guy that can run down the field and toast your number one corner. So the Patriots... Although they're moving in a different direction on offense, like they still have that that role still exists. Yeah, and, and with Cam in particular, because now you've got the the added element of the runner and the whole thing, 
you know, it does force some man coverage. And, and Julio has just been so dynamic. The, the thing that's so weird about his career is he just never became a touchdown machine. It's like, bizarre. you would think that body. That's one of the great, like, questions. Mysteries. I mean, it's a total mystery as to how that could possibly happen. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what they're going to do. Like, I, I, I really thought that Justin Fields might be the play for New England in a, in a trade-up. Um, because then you have Cam Newton, you have Justin Fields, you have kind of the same body type. You right. build one offense and you make it great, and then you transition to the next guy and the whole thing. But with Mac Jones, now you sort of have Cam Newton and Tom Brady-ish, yeah. you know, style of offense. So now, you know, at what point are you thinking about making that transition? Because the offense is going to have to change. What's your take on the whole Mac Jones thing in terms of – so the way that a lot of people were um, – presenting this is that Justin Fields and Trey Lance, they bring all this athleticism and this extra dimension to the game that a guy like Mac Jones just doesn't have, right? Does not a threat with his legs, not a threat on the move. He's a pocket passer, an old school throwback kind of pocket passer. And people were sort of saying because of that, he has a lower ceiling than those guys because he just doesn't have that extra dimension. But Tom Brady is also a pocket passer. <laughs> Drew Brees is a pocket passer. Troy Aikman. Matt Ryan. Like, uh, and just even, go back through the history of the Super Bowl. There have yeah, been way but, but more even, pocket passers. Even if you limit it to like today, right? There's some elite high-level NFL players. Like, so, you know, you go back to the 90s and someone's going to say, well, the game's different. It's evolving. It's moving in this direction. But even like right now, the Super Bowl champion quarterback who's 43 years old and playing as well as anybody is a – relatively a mobile pocket passer there's still a whole bunch of those guys so i'm not sure it changes his ceiling but i think what it does is it means his floor is lower because if if you goof a little bit on like how good you think he is as a pocket passer there's nothing left to prop it up if you goof a little bit on trey lance or justin fields like they can still do an, an insane amount on the like josh allen right josh allen took two years to get to where he is right now but they were able to keep rolling because Josh Allen was a freak on the ground and could make all these plays and like prop up what he was deficient at as a passer. Yeah, you know, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are the two examples in this draft, yeah. you know, but even with those two guys, if you watch enough tape on them, I mean, Mac Jones made plays with his legs because he doesn't run four five i mean like he's four, not gonna six eight like that's not slow no usually those runs are because you're playing two man and everybody's scattered right. about in coverage somewhere and so there's wide open lanes so whether you run four eight and pick up a first down or you run four four and pick up a first down not often are you going to go the distance <laughs> from the quarterback position right um but i mean the simple I guess the simple logic of it for people to think about is if you're – what's better? Most offensive coordinators love a guy who will sit in the pocket and can move a little bit, but they can design an offense around that. When, when you go to the Deshaun Watsons of the world – you're kind of just turning over the keys to them. Yeah. You know, because you don't know what Russell Wilson's going to do. You you don't know what Steve Young was going to do. You know, they were, yeah, we're going to be inside a structure, but the plays, the big plays that we're going to remember are going to come when they start to move around and they start to, to make plays with their legs. So, uh, you know, I, I I just think that if you can think of it in terms of, 
if I'm in the middle of the field, remember in the NFL, they've got tight hash marks, so you don't have mm -hmm. these wide hash marks that you've got to make plays with. If you sit in the middle of the field and you can throw it 60 yards that way, 60 yards that way, 53 yards of width across the field, some singular person sitting in the middle of the field that can attack that entire field is the most dynamic way to play football. The minute a quarterback rolls to one side or the other, you basically are now playing on two thirds of a field. Yeah, maybe you Unless can throw it all the way back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a couple of them can yeah. do that. But for the most part, you've shrunk the size of the field. The biggest football field that you can play with is one quarterback sitting in the pocket in the middle of the field so there is an argument to be made that is the best way to play. Certainly, I don't want to take away a Russell Wilson's skill set, right. but, you know. But he, I mean, even Wilson is a great example of that because a lot of what he does is it, it's, not, it's not running to sort of one side and getting himself boxed in. It's just running around in the backfield and eventually finding the thing that wasn't open initially. Like his thing is almost drop beyond the pocket and then just keep dancing until he finds something open, but he's still playing with the full field. He's not usually, you know, rolling all the way to one side and sort of cutting himself off and, and limiting the amount of field he's attacking to just this slice. We, we did the playoff game with Seattle in Minnesota, and Minnesota's game plan coming into it was that they were going to they were going to go all the way around the tackles. You know, like when you get pushed right. by, most teams don't want to do that. Minnesota intentionally did it because they knew Russell Wilson eventually would flip out backwards. Right. And they got right at least it. one sack that day. And I was like, oh my God, the plan worked. It was like, that was, that was just genius that that worked. But I, I'm always a little surprised if I had been the general manager of Seattle and Russell made his comments about didn't like the offensive yeah. line, you know, whatever it was, I would have said, um, Russ, one of the reasons we're paying you $40 million or whatever it is, is because I don't have to have as good an offensive line. Like right. you can make these guys miss. Like part of your salary is because I don't have to have those high end players playing on the offensive line. Now, if you want me to get all the high end guys, then I got to go draft a quarterback that's on a rookie wage and I can do it that way too. But I'm doing this the opposite way. I'm because of your mobility, I can save some money here, build a defense, give you these top flight receivers. I'm just surprised that counter argument didn't come back out of Seattle. I mean, maybe it did, and they just like ultimately to him personally. See, well, we're, we're we're in this interesting world now, where you know whether it's Russell Wilson, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, there does seem to be this trend of these big, high price quarterbacks pushing the boundaries and seeing how much leverage they have. Right? I a few years ago, I thought we were in this. When there was, we were still at the tail end of this like real lack of quarterback talent in the NFL. I remember there was a period where like Alex Smith was getting a hundred million dollar contract because the prospect of not having Alex Smith was terrifying, right? And you had to, even though it's Alex Smith, there's a limit to how good that guy is. If we don't have him, we could get just a complete disaster, and we can't have that. So we got to pay him. Um, like at that point, I thought quarterbacks were going to start really pushing this in terms of like in terms of their contracts in particular. I thought when Andrew Luck's deal was coming up, he could have pushed for like like a fully guaranteed deal, right? Give me five years, 150 million, 100% guaranteed, because otherwise, all right, I'm out of here. Like, I'm just, I'm 
what are you going to do if I'm not here? You're, you're screwed. And it didn't quite happen, I think, in large part because it was this big influx of like talented quarterbacks that came in pretty quickly after that. But now they start to be, they seem to be sort of pushing back in a, not a leverage with the contract way, but in a, you know, you got, you got to make me happy. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not just settling for this. So if you were a general manager, and this is just a philosophical question, mm. would you be, unless you had Mahomes, Brady, you know, Rodgers, unless you had one of those top five, let's, let's say there's five in yeah. that top category, wouldn't you rather have a rookie for five years? Yeah. And build the to me there's there's the the people that have been knocked out of the box if you will are those middle tier quarterbacks yeah because you either have to what we're seeing anyway I think is you're going to have a superstar quarterback Tom Brady or you're going to have a rookie quarterback wage scale quarterback and build the rest of the team and it feels like those that middle. 10, 15 quarterbacks are like purgatory. It's like, like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, it's like the Kirk Cousins debate, right? What do you do with Kirk Cousins? He's a very good quarterback, but he's not in that top five. He's not individually going to elevate everything around him to the point where it doesn't really matter what you put around him the way Mahomes can, right? Like, Mahomes dragged that team to an AFC championship game with, with like, the worst defense in the NFL, and then they made the defense just a little bit better and suddenly they're a Super Bowl team, easy. You know, they're the best team in the NFL. Like, Cousins can't do that. Cousins needs help around him, and he can still be a really good player. But it's like you're just – your margin for error is so small with a guy like that because you have to pay him, you know, the Kirk Cousins contract. What, what would you do with Aaron Rodgers right now? I mean, to me, this is one of the more interesting ones. I mean, remember, Tom Brady basically got out for free. Yeah. So Tampa didn't have to give up anything to get him. Now we've got this conversation. Aaron Rodgers is 37, 38, 38. Uh, God only knows how long these guys can play anymore. Right. But, but, you know, a few more years, he wants to do Jeopardy. He wants to do other things. He's a brilliant guy. He can do, he can do anything. Still only 37. Yeah. So would you be willing to take, if somebody really gave up the mother loan, you know, the, the, I'm going to get all three first round picks. I'm going to get a couple of players, you know, for, okay, as a franchise now, I'm going to lose out on probably a really good three to four years. Yeah. Right. But this also has a little bit of a feel of the Dallas Cowboys Herschel Walker trade that I may set up yeah. my franchise for the next 20 years because of the haul that I'm going to get out of this now the only thing that bothered me in the whole thing when we started talking about it is what is what are those three first rounders worth if you have aaron Rodgers playing for the next three years I, you almost want to go okay i want your post aaron Rodgers. <laughs> okay. i want in 2025 six and seven your first round picks it, it's it's so interesting because i think of his age right if Rodgers was like 34 I agree. He would get. I agree. He would get like it would be the big. It would be the Russell Wilson deal that we were talking about earlier, right? Which is there isn't a deal big enough that you can throw at them for them to take it. Um, but because he's now thirty-seven, he'll be you know almost thirty-eight when the season rolls around. It's like you have to at least wonder 
when that wall comes because it Brady is not like the like the the barometer. I mean, what Brady's doing is ridiculous. Breeze hit that wall at sort of 41, Manning hit it at 39-40. It's still that still exists. Like just because Brady is going to play till he's like 50 and show no signs of slowing down. I know Rogers apparently bought the uh, the TB12 book. I'm so. thinking about buying it. I, he gave me one one time. I was like, I gotta start reading this thing. <laughs> so, but you have like if you're a team thinking about trading for him, that has to be part of the equation, right? Is that like how long do we think this guy can play at this level for because he's almost 38 years old? To me, if you're Green Bay, I mean, the, the question starts like, can we piece this thing back together? Because it's Aaron Rodgers, he's just come off an MVP season. We don't want to get rid of him. I mean, that's why the whole thing started essentially because they changed their mind. They were like, actually, the plan, the succession plan that we started last year, we want to park that for a minute because you just had an MVP season that we didn't think you were really capable of anymore. And Rodgers appears to have gone, well, no, you've already burned that bridge. I'm out of here. Like, if they think they can piece that back together again somehow, that should be job one. But then it becomes like, what does this trade look like? Because if you're, if the team trying trying to trade for him is, you know, only in quotation marks offering like two first round picks that will, as you say, be low first round picks, particularly if it's like Denver. I mean, Denver's got like, like a Super Bowl favorite with Aaron Rodgers. So let's say the number 31 or 32 overall pick for the next two years if I'm the Packers, I honestly would prefer to make him go go host Jeopardy. I don't want him winning a Super Bowl when I'm stuck there with Jordan Love and all I got out of it was like the number 31 pick two years in a row. Is there a young quarterback? In other words, now we come right back to Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, and now you're in, in – I just have to set aside the baggage. Right. I, I understand. I know how insensitive a person I am that I even bring this up. I'm just going to talk about him as a football player. That if, in fact, a Deshaun Watson type were available in that kind of a swap for a period of time and you've got – the Houston Texans who are going to be hurting for a little while, maybe even with Aaron Rodgers, because they were hurting with Deshaun Watson, you know, it is, does something like that. Now you, you do have an answer. I, I, I've been just trying to piece together in my mind. What would I entertain if I were the green Bay Packers? And I just not sure anybody could put together enough of a package right. to make it make sense short of a young a couple of young superstar players and all those first-round picks. Yeah, and the thing is you have to think that they love Jordan Love because it doesn't – what they did last year makes no sense unless they absolutely love that guy because with Rodgers' contract, like this was always going to be a problem because you could never move on this year, essentially, the way his contract is. So you started the replacement process at least a year too early. You know, the – I, I agree with them in terms of, look, Rodgers has been heading down for a while. He hasn't played at this MVP level. We don't know if he's capable of doing that anymore. Looking to the future for a 37-year-old quarterback makes sense. Looking for the year they did, and when you consider they traded up to get Jordan Love, like that doesn't make any sense unless you think that that guy is amazing, at which point, I mean, nothing happened in the last 12 months to change that for from their perspective. They're probably not looking for another quarterback in whatever deal they're getting for Rodgers. They're going to be looking for like, you know, defensive superstars or an elite wide receiver or, you know, something else 
other than the quarterback to come back in that deal. But, look, I'm with you. I, I don't see many teams capable or willing to put that kind of package on the table. I, I think the other thing that it deserves a conversation is if they had hit on a Justin Jefferson kind of player uh, at that pick where mm. they traded up to get Jordan Love, would they have won the last two Super Bowls? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's possible. Absolutely. It is, I mean, they were very close to two of them. Yep. And so, I mean, that's one that's going to be debated for a long time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the Rodgers thing is fascinating. But to me, the scariest prospect is, is like, what happens if we ship him off because we pissed him off and then Denver wins the next two Super Bowls? And now you're sitting there having chased a second ring with Aaron Rodgers for like a decade and you got nothing out of it but a couple of low-round picks. If I'm the Packers, I know Steve thinks the opposite, but I I would rather he host Jeopardy and me get nothing out of it than me get a couple Live of, with the pain of him winning yeah, like somewhere couple, else. Because like, look, look what's happening with Brady and Belichick right now. Like, okay, he walked out for nothing and you didn't, you didn't really have the capacity to stop it, but you're telling me that that doesn't irk Belichick watching Tom Brady win another Super Bowl all the sort of pressure coming on Belichick to prove that he wasn't just a product of Brady and and also the like Brady now bringing that New England draw the the ring chasing aspect to Tampa Bay and look what they just did in terms of bringing everybody back I, I, we will never know the underlying right. I mean there in New England was Bill Belichick really setting up Jimmy Garoppolo to take over and had him exactly position where he wanted to make the transition. He still could have gotten value for Tom Brady in some kind of a trade uh, somewhere. Maybe it cost him a, a Super Bowl. I don't know. But I think there was a formula in place. And I, I do think that for whatever reason, that plan changed. That yeah. that they, they just thought – Brady had too much left think, in the tank. I think it was the same thing, right? It's yeah. like they they planned for the future the way you should do, and then Brady did what he did, I'll which is, it. yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm not dealing with that timetable. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep being amazing. So you're going to have to change your timetable, or we part ways now. I mean, it had to be brutal. No matter, I mean, just from a human standpoint to watch Tom Brady win that Super Bowl in Tampa. <laughs> right. Because they were middle-of-the-road team. I, I'll, I'll never forget in the middle of last season, um, I watched him play a couple of games and, and um, getting ready for one of the broadcasts. And I go, I think Tampa's the best team. And I, they, I had a top five list that George had me put together. And I go, I'm putting Tampa at – whatever they were, seven and five, yeah. is the number one team. And so, of course, you know how it is on Twitter. I'm getting <laughs> slaughtered. I mean, just slaughtered. And I go, I know, but I've seen all these teams, and I think yeah. they, they have the best team. So then they go out and they just literally – I think the next game was, was um, – uh, the game that we did in Tampa where New Orleans beat them like 38 to three. And I go, George, I am never putting together another top five list. You jackass make me do that and look like an idiot. And, but it was there. I mean, it was there the whole time. They just had not, and they just put it together at the right time as we've seen before. How much of a dumpster fire are your mentions on Twitter? Because mine are bad and you have a lot more followers than I do. Um, you, you try not to... <laughs> be canceled from life 
because of something that you personally have written. You know, yeah. you, you want to push the envelope. You want to say something that you really believe, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it is. Um, All 32 NFL teams think that you personally hate their team. Oh, right? for sure. Especially Cincinnati. Right. C Cincinnati is the worst because the assumption is that you're overcompensating. I, well, no, that, that I should be defending them okay. at all costs. And I'm sure people have probably figured me out after as long as I've been on the air. But basically, the fourth quarter, if the game's over, you know, I do a little victory lap for the winning team. So if Pittsburgh is kicking Cincinnati around the field, I'm not going to talk about how crummy Cincinnati is, but I'm going to sing the praises of right. Pittsburgh for the for his, the fourth quarter. I think that's fair. I always have a million stories and a million different guys I want to talk to, but you know, a game breaks out every once in a while. And you got to talk about the game, but when you get an opportunity to talk about the guys and their stories and why they've been successful, so so if it's a big blowout, you may get the whole second half of that. You know, because the alternative is ripping the hell out of the other team. <laughs> and uh, it was so funny. Like, when I first started doing uh, the games, I did the lowest of the low games. I mean, I was the seventh or eighth broadcast team. So I would be doing, like, back in the days, it was like Cleveland against Indy. It would be like 2-10 and 10 versus 1-11 and 11 kind of games. And so you go in for these production meetings, and what are you going to ask? You know, like, <laughs> why do you guys suck? Like, that's what are the, what are the other questions? Like, yeah. what's gone wrong here? What what happened? And so the meetings were always awful. I mean, it was like they hated me, and they were just you know. So then you're on the air, and you're breaking down why these teams are so terrible. Thank God, I finally got to Sunday Night Football and Al Michaels, and and now the question is, hey, tell me why you're so good. And what a difference my life is. It's like so nice. I like, this is a huge difference. And, and I almost feel sorry for the Tony Romos of the world that they didn't have to experience. The bad. Oh, because you, you cannot appreciate what it's like to sit in our chair today and call those games unless you've been in those meetings, <laughs> you know? I, there were a couple of times in Cleveland, I was like, I am not going to get out of Cleveland alive with <laughs> Belichick and Nick Saban. And I mean, these guys, because they knew they knew how to coach. Right. And it was just, it, it hadn't come together. Then it finally did eventually. So. And they're still grinding through those like bad teams, having yeah. to answer questions about why they're so terrible. Oh. God, that's got to be rough. Um, all right, we got some mailbag questions in. One I like, that I want to ask from a guy called Nathan Partolo. I think that's how we pronounce that. Um, imagine the NFL restarts now and you're essentially drafting from scratch, but quarterbacks are already off the table. Quarterbacks have been taken care of. They've, they've been assigned. However, it's done. Who's the next player you start with? Like what position is it? Who do you go for? Essentially where, what, when you're team building, what's the next most important spot? I know the PFF answer is wide receiver cornerback. Right. And I think that's fair. You know, I do think it's probably, you know, the right answer. Um, my problem with cornerback is, you know, if you're going to become a man coverage team, you got to have at least four of them. Yeah. You know, like the New Englands of the world. All right, they're committed. They're going to have great back in. They're going to play man coverage. They're going to get after you. Um, and, and that's a, that's a good. But does one 
do that for you. Um, I, I would think one great wide receiver at the very least is going to force double teams. Right. So for me, when I watch film, I'm always people say, well, how do you know who the better player is? I'm like, I typically don't. But the other coaches on the other team do and whoever is getting double teamed or whoever is in the secondary that is in man coverage all day <clears throat> pardon me against their best receiver you know it's about can this guy play singled up or on offense can he draw a double team aaron donald right yeah. you, you, that, there's two guys it's not hard to see you watch the film there's two guys on him all the time like okay that's the best player right so it's, yeah, it's not I mean, it's, even if aaron donald wasn't wrecking it every play you would have a pretty good indication that that guy is something right different. even if he does nothing the whole game yeah. i know he's taken two blockers so that was the one that they were most concerned about so i i i I, I I don't I wouldn't go outside the formula, you know. I think it is it is cornerback wide, but I I have to say that I love interior pressure. Yeah, I, I just do. I I've talked to enough quarterbacks that they hate it, literally hate it when there's really good interior pressure. And we saw a, a Tom Brady Super Bowl change. Yeah. The Giants won with interior pressure against them that day. And I think it is more complicated than just you go cornerback wide receiver because, as you said, it's it's how many guys you need and how much impact can one guy make. And it's always more nuanced than just, like, this is the order you take it off in because, you know, you might have Darrell Re – like, remember when the Raiders had Namdi Asamoah for years, right? And that guy got, like, 15 targets a year because on the other side – like it was garbage and Namdi Asimo would stay on the the right side of the defense all game long in man coverage locking down his guy nobody would ever throw the ball his direction because they were targeting the other side 15 times a game racking up 200 passing yards on that side it's like well why would you ever test this guy like unless you have a Darrell Rivas where you're going to move him and you're going to follow the number one wide receiver and even then if number two and number three are bad it's not it's not doing that much for you whereas elite pass rush or elite wide receiver like those one individual guys can make a monster impact even if everyone else around them is garbage so it, uh, it is more complicated than just that but what what since you've owned pff what are the things what are some things that you sort of learned from the pff way of doing things that changed the way you thought about the game uh, running backs for sure I mean, we all grew up in an era when it was O.J. Simpson and Franco Harris, and you know the they running were backs were the stars. Yeah. They were they were the stars. Um, but when you really start to understand what difference it makes when Dallas had a healthy offensive line that was that dominant, did it really matter that Ezekiel Elliott was running the ball? Right. You know, and I think that's the hardest thing to evaluate with these college running backs is how do you evaluate Najee Harris and Travis Etienne when in general most of their career they've been five yards downfield before they're getting touched yeah um, so it, it's always it's always a, a full circle um, I, I can remember Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl and and you know we talk about all the things that happened at the quarterback position but in my mind, they were the dominant offensive and defensive line in football that year. And I, I think I even opened the broadcast with my opening on camera as I'm trying to breathe my way through it. Uh, and I said that. 
Uh, and I thought it, it sort of played its way out. You know, eventually the defensive line obviously didn't have a huge game, but eventually it was their yeah. sack fumble that, that locked it up. So um, I, I, I tend to be – but the hard part, again, is it, does one guy anywhere make that kind of difference? Um, but I, I, I do agree now that it's much more about the offensive line than what it is about the, the running backs. I think that Philly defense is still – the PFF record holder for the highest pressure rate over a season. Uh, Pittsburgh might have topped it this past year. I haven't checked since, but they were up at like 47% or something insane, like ridiculous volume. Like if you're pressuring the opposing quarterback almost half the time, the dropbacks that guy has, like it's a huge advantage. And what like made Philadelphia so good is that they were able to run like seven deep in terms of guys who can get pressure. So you couldn't just like, let's take away Fletcher Cox. Well, okay, then Brandon Graham and you know, everybody else, it's, it was a nightmare. So, yeah, that the, the Eagles, you're right. I think they really nailed this idea of we're just going to be dominant in both sides of the line, and then you can't pass on us because we're going to get pressure the whole time, and we're going to be able to run the ball and pass the ball against you because the offensive platform we're giving it is, is so good. And it, it makes those questions about, you know, Pittsburgh with Najee Harris this year. Like, you, you the first round, you can only – it's only one pick. You can only bring in one guy. And this was the Bengals with Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase as well. It's like the decision is not do you fix the offensive line or do you get a skill position player or a running back or whatever it is because you can only bring in one. It's You're not fixing the offensive line. You're bringing in one guy to move the needle on the offensive line. And how much is that worth versus a wide receiver or a running back? And I think it's a lot more than a, a running back, but might not be more than a wide receiver. You know, the other thing that we talk about a lot that, that I've spent more time thinking about is the contested catch. Um, because there was a time when, and really when I was playing, they didn't throw contested catch balls. I mean, you either got a step on the defender or you weren't getting a ball deep down. I mean, right. I'm six foot four or five or probably six three now after <laughs> shrinking. But, you know, they didn't just throw it up and let you go try to make a, a play. Because the contest, with the, like the, the, the contest from the DB was him throwing a missile at your head. Yeah, and, and it, that's the other thing. I mean, there are two things that have changed so significantly since I played. One's the gloves. Yes. I mean, please let me cheat and wear those gloves one time. <laughs> those things are insane. <laughs> insane. If you, haven't, like, if you haven't picked up a receiver glove, like one of those C-tack cutters things, it will blow your mind how sticky those things are on a football. It's ridiculous. Some, somebody told me the league got presented with a glove that you could stick out your hand, not even like grab your finger. Just hold it flat. And it, it would, would fly stick. paper the thing. Yeah. It would just catch the ball, and they're like, okay, that's illegal. That, that's actually <laughs> that, going that one's a step too, too far. far. You know, but it, those it, cutters things aren't far off that. Like, you don't no. need to do much. You could stick out your hand like that and – tiny little like yeah, little stick. it doesn't take much but probably the biggest difference since i was playing was that you can't get hit right there anymore right you know that the the idea of going over the middle and throwing a contested catch ball to a, a tight end a or a wide sentence. receiver when i played you would not have lived for a 10-year career right you would be dead 
Like I, I had, I had at one point in my career, I, I think I had three like straight games. I had stitches in my chin and my cousin who played at Eastern Kentucky said, how stupid are you? <laughs> Cause you know, they, they have, they have chin straps with padding in it. Now yeah. you can, you know, if you're a fullback, you understand <laughs> that you got to get that. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a good idea right there. I never got stitches again. So that was brilliant. But I think, I think it's made guys brave that really aren't brave. You know, I mean, it, okay. You, I used to say you could take a sledgehammer to my back because this, the human body, think about it. The human body is meant to be protected from the back. Yeah. There's nothing in back of you that is going to really hurt other than you get hit in the head. But right. I mean, you, you have bone structure, you have soft hamstrings, calves, you have, in the front, everything hurts <laughs> you get hit in the foot you get hit in the shin you get hit in the knee you get hit in the thigh you get hit in the middle you get hit in the stomach you get into under the chin in the face everything hurts yeah so your protection in front of you is your eyes those those like you know quick hooks quick uh, hitches all those kinds of things those were i never worried about getting hit in the bank with running those no, routes. it was only ever, like hit me i don't care yeah. it doesn't make any difference you're right it's it's the stuff from the front or the stuff that's targeting like knees and things and and i you know i played in a league where you didn't really have to worry about getting hit in the head much but you go back to your era you really did like that those contested ca contested catches were not the same thing back then I mean, I, I'm not sure any of us would have finished the game with the concussion protocols that they right. have now. It's like, you mean those plays when I staggered back to the <laughs> huddle? I think when I had to leave the game, like, how, how would you finish a football game? We don't have, have enough no people idea. for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 incredible that like th those gloves though, I think are absolutely ridiculous. So like, I've got pretty small hands, right? But you put on those SeaTac gloves, you can catch almost everything. You look at a guy like Larry Fitzgerald with his giant mitts of hands wearing those gloves. You're like, of course that guy never drops the ball. It's like a cheat code. But but the game is so much better with it because the, Absolutely. the, the primary difference in professional football is the ability to throw it and catch it. Yeah. And so the fact that you've given a little cheat code to enhance the spectacular, I mean, and we get spectacular. Oh, like Odell Beck, the catch. It's spectacular, right? right? You I don't mean, want that just slipping through his hands because he doesn't have sticky gloves the, on. The, the three-finger catch and his ability on that play to stay in bounds. Yeah. I mean, first of all, because he was being fouled, he got knocked to the boundary, he only got one hand on it, and he only got three fingers on it. I mean, it, and he got his feet down in the end zone. Like, when I saw it live, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure he made the catch. You know, because I'm 150 yards away from it. I go, I'm pretty sure he made the catch. There's no way he was in bounds or didn't step out or, did, you know, or didn't bobble the ball when he landed or something went wrong. And it's like, he did them all. He got them all. Yeah. And now and now it's like, where is he going to be? Where, what's he going to do this year? It's it's bizarre to follow the league sometimes. It is incredible. Like the storylines that, I mean, there's no there's no offseason, right? We're we're in the middle of May, you know, in, in a period that should be completely dead. We're talking about Julio Jones getting traded. We're talking about Odell Beckham, whether he's going to stay with Cleveland or whether they should move on from him. The league has mastered this. 365 days a year, always storylines, no offseason, no break. Just keeps on trucking. I mean, my my year is so bizarre because I, I really miss watching. When I was doing the studio with Fox or with NBC, I used to 
be able to watch all the games in in league. Now, anybody who thinks they can watch all 16 games is a fool. You you can't. The most I could really have a little understanding of was maybe three, realistically two going on at the same time. But at least, you know, people are hollering out from right. around the room and what's going on. Hey, look at this, you know. So you have you have some idea of league-wide. Today, with what I do, it's like so myopic. I mean, it's like just two teams, and that's my entire life for an entire week. And I see a couple of highlights, and I watch a little bit of games on Sunday before we go to the stadium. But it's not like I really can follow the league like I used to. So then we come out of that and now I start watching a little NFL film, getting ready for free agency. And then I come, then I watch the college football season basically with the draft and I'm studying right. that. But now like it's like starting all over again. So I have my boards and I have my research and I'm just going team by team through these things. And I'm I'm getting up to speed on stuff that that you know you and Steve know frontwards and backwards because you saw it all season you know I the last time I saw the Jets play or <laughs> the Jaguars play or you know there's teams like people ask me questions about Cincinnati I'm like I haven't seen Cincinnati or studied them forever you know so uh, I love our schedule this year we've got 21 different teams yeah. and I think it's sort of a tribute to you know all the new exciting places for quarterbacks you know you've kind of got Matthew Stafford now over there. You got Jared Goff back here in Detroit. You got Tom Brady at, down there. We don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to happen. You know, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, you know, Zach Wilson. I mean, this is exciting, right? Yeah. We've got a lot of possibilities in a lot of different things. We were talking about it the other day. It's like, who is it that doesn't have hope right now? Okay, Houston, right. you know, that's probably top of the list. But is, is, other than that, is there somebody that you just go, there's no way. Cincinnati? Is there no way Cincinnati right. could? There's not many teams that have, like, nothing on paper. I, I agree. And, and the quarterback dispersal has gotten yeah. what's made the difference. I yeah. mean, and we've we've been lucky. We've kind of hit, like, a 1983-ish kind of hot zone for young quarterback play. And, but I think that's been enhanced by the money. I think the money aspect of that, that teams now want to take advantage of that five-year window if they're drafted in the first round to where they can they can go spend on the rest of their salary and not have to do, you know, like the, the Rams had to do, I mean, they had to get rid of golf. They right. had to do a salary dump and, and whatever it took, but they have Stafford and they have really high-end players. But when you look at the Rams and the, the quality of the people that they had to let go, yeah, you know, not first, not the top-end guys, but a lot of the depth, and as we go into 17 games now, depth is going to be a major factor. And teams are also more willing to like move on from a quarterback that isn't that top five guy because everyone wants to chase the top five guy on the rookie contract. So if you have a Jared Goff or a Carson Wentz and things have started to unspool a little bit, you're going to move on from those guys in a way that 10 years ago you might have just been stuck with them because, like, okay, it hasn't worked out the way we wanted it to, but it's still better than being stuck with – you know, whoever the, the next quarterback bust is that we're not going to have a shot at in the draft. So I think it's the, the availability of quarterbacks and the value of those rookie guys has been – it's changed the NFL. And they're going to get on the field sooner than yeah. they ever did. Um, it, it, it's just such an interesting game. It's amazing that 
the NFL can hold your attention for the whole season. I mean, there's NBA playoffs going on. There's NHL playoffs <laughs> going on. Baseball season, back-to-back -back nights of no-hitters in baseball. I mean, really exciting stuff. And we're going, oh, man, I wonder what the, you know, the Patriots are going to do with it. <laughs> you know? it's and it's, it's, it's not just us no, because we're in it. It's, it's like I can't go. I, I've been at events and sat at tables with politicians and actors and, you know, all these big people and inevitably the conversation always starts with football it, it just always does like oh man i'm you know i'm like a saints fan what did you think of their draft what did you you know and it's it's just sort of the common bond of this country I and mean, there's a reason you guys are the number one show every single week people love football chris this has been awesome thank you so much for doing it's this been fun i'm gonna let you pack up and, and get out of here i'm gonna answer some questions while we're doing that we we're live, so I got to keep on trucking and just keep let on you, trucking, man. Let you Absolutely, bounce. but this yeah. has been awesome. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman. We'll send our, our millions of listeners. Yeah, over we there need you. we need some of your millions over there. Yeah, we got cooking. our podcasts are getting pretty good though. Not ours, but uh, George and Eric had them on the other day, and with the uh, what's it called, the forecast. The yeah, NFL we got a lot of cool stuff. The two for one has taken off over the draft. Those guys have been absolutely. Those guys cooking. have some good drunk stories. Now. I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah. like do, the just the, the volume of stimulants and their system at all times <laughs> the we got a box of smelling salts over there that yeah, they I crack that. before every show yeah, yeah. austin during the draft uh just chain drinking red bulls and in addition to the smelling salts and we had him on on monday but yeah their podcast's taking off ours is doing well yours is heading in the right direction with richard sherman it's do, all good do you think if i did the smelling salts, i'd talk as fast as austin gale no does? it's not possible it's, it's not possible no. it's like i i couldn't even my wife can do that we were, can do there's that. people that, that like listen to podcasts at like one and a half speed, you know, just to get through them quickly. If you were listening to Austin Gale at one and a half speed, I mean, at some point it just becomes like a white noise, right? It's not words anymore. It's, it's just like, like R2-D2 yeah, at that point. <laughs> I, that guy talks unbelievably quickly. It's insane. It was fun, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks All for right, doing next it. Next time I want my picture up here. Though, we'll get so you a, we'll get you a, yeah, I'll well, wear I a hat to, again. So I you'll couldn't have, have mine on because you don't have one. So we'll have to make you a little silhouette, the, the Chris silhouette. Nah. But we could even, we could animate it and have it like slide in. Just a constant. Second thought, my profile is not real strong. Let's, let's just skip <laughs> I'm not sure mine is much better. <laughs> Fine, Thank you, sir. Take it easy. Quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Western and Southern. Life is full of questions like, am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance? Just to name a few. In these trying times, we're all shouldering the constant burden of uncertainty together. No one should have to settle for answers to life-altering questions that involve gray area or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience, gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions. Together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Also, another sponsor we have on the PFF podcast, DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook gives you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on a featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right, for every 1,500 players who bet the over on a selected game, the over-under will drop by one point. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to hammer the over. 
For every 1,500 people that bet the over in a featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the overhitting. So tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code PFF for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Maximum $25 wager. One per customer offer ends 5-23-21. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Lastly, our final sponsor, Symbol. PFF is partnered with Symbol, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts, and NFL free agency is still going on, so whenever your team Whoever lands a top-of-the-market player will be sure to see their team's stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. All right, I'm going to launch straight into a question from somebody called Alan Romack Jr., which is a pretty good name. Um, he's got a question about the Washington football team and how they're building the team, and in particular, what they're doing with quarterback. Uh, his email is, the roster right now I think is pretty good, but it's vitally missing a franchise quarterback. He's not terribly optimistic about Fitzmagic. Uh, doesn't think Washington's going to be bad enough to get a top 10 pick next year. So how does Washington have a path through to a franchise quarterback? He wants Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, even though he's heard there's some character concerns, but Washington's almost certainly not going to have the opportunity. The main question is, with Washington not trading up for a quarterback, did they use the right process just by continuing to build up a team without a good, or a, but with a good team without a future quarterback? Honestly, I think they did. Like, I think you can look at this and say they goofed because they didn't make a big trade up for Justin Fields or Mac Jones or whoever it is in the draft, right? The first thing I think you need to think about is maybe they didn't like those two guys, right? We, it, it isn't a five quarterback first round for everybody. Maybe Washington just didn't like a couple of those guys. Philadelphia was another team that said, you know, Zach Wilson's available. We're in. If Zach Wilson's gone and he, he was going to be gone at number two, we're out on the quarterbacks. We don't like any of the remaining three, so we're done. We're going to punt to next year, essentially, and roll through this season with uh, Jalen Hurts. Now, Philadelphia is probably getting another first-round pick from, um, from Indy for Carson Wentz. They're probably not going to be that great this year. You can make a case that's a lot better to say Philadelphia can punt this year and they're going to be drafting in the top five or have the capacity to draft top five next year and get that quarterback. Washington is not in that situation, but they are in a situation, I think, where they looked at it and said, we're a playoff team. We were a playoff team last year. Okay, it was in the NFC East. It was a bit of a punchline, but we've gotten better. We're heading in the right direction. We want to be contending this season. And even if we don't have shot at a franchise quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick over the last three years has a top 15 PFF grade. Okay, it's 15, so it's, you know, let's say it's league average. But he can give us league average quarterback play that will be a bit of a roller coaster. You're going to get ridiculously high-end games. 
you're going to get some pretty terrible games overall over the season. It's going to it's going to level off to a middle of the road team. And if we build a really good roster around him, that guy can contend. We it's a long shot, but that's what you're dealing with when you're not when you don't have a Patrick Mahomes. So I think they looked at it and said, look, our best chance of winning in 2020 is get Ryan Fitzpatrick, surround him with talent, and let's see how that goes. And we'll bring back Taylor Heineke in case he can repeat the magic that he had in the, in the playoffs, and then we'll just figure it out in the future. And I honestly think that's not a bad way of doing it. Not everybody is going to have an opportunity at this top five quarterback, and I don't think every team is in a position where your best move is to just blow it all up so that you can get that shot. And I think that's basically what you're asking for if you're asking them to do anything other than what they did is to just say, we have to torpedo this entire thing and rebuild from the ground up. And I don't think that's why. I think what Washington is doing is essentially what those Minnesota Vikings teams were doing throughout much of the 90s, which is let's just <laughs> let's just deal with quarterback as it comes up. We'll, we'll maintain a very good roster and we'll try and get reasonable quarterback play through veterans. And whether it's Fitzpatrick, whether it's Heineke, maybe they're a team that um, you know doubles down or, or gives a reclamation job to Jared Goff next year if he doesn't work out with the Lions, and they'll just keep going until they get a position. They get to be in a position where they do draft the next quarterback and the the guy that is clearly the quarterback of the future. I th I think there's a way, particularly now, uh, the stuff we were talking about with Chris, the stuff we've mentioned before with Steve. Um, I think there's a way now where you can kind of treat the quarterback position like that. If you don't have a clear answer of a, an elite top five guy, you can juggle between guys that are okay and viable and capable and just wait until an opportunity presents itself. So I like what Washington has done. I think calling Fitzpatrick when you don't have a shot at an elite quarterback is the right thing to do. And I'm, I'm kind of hopeful. I, I'd like to see it work out for them. Uh, all right, this question is from somebody called Maxime Gautier, maybe? Hello, my suggestion. Uh, for what positions is depth more valuable than top-end talent and vice versa? This, I think, is a really interesting question. Um, which positions, essentially, again, the stuff we were talking about with Chris, which positions does one player make a massive difference versus being extremely deep across the board? I think wide receiver is the obvious answer where one guy makes a receiving core almost look at what the green bay packers have had it's they've been able to have a good group of receivers and a good uh, passing game with essentially just Devonte adams now there's a level to how high that can take you and the packers did need you know to bring on an alan lazard to get marquez valdez scantling to develop and they could use a high-end number two but that one guy is going to take you a, a long way in a way that i don't think one guy would take you if you had you know, the cornerback. Um, I don't think you can get by with just that one elite player. Now, the Rams have shown that you can take that one corner quite a way and at least use it to boost the production of everybody else. The Troy Hills of the world, the Darius Williams of the world. I think those guys are definitely aided by Jalen Ramsey being on board, but I don't think it does the same as Devontae Adams does. I think offensive line is the, the other obvious one in terms of needing depth, not needing one superstar. Like one elite left tackle, Joe Thomas in his prime, and four Stooges is not a good offensive line. Five guys that are average is a better offensive line than one Hall of Famer and four guys that suck. Um, so I think those are probably the, the most obvious ones that jump to mind. Uh, Turner Badkowski says essentially draft grades should be about a team's process 
rather than the picks. Uh, the Browns had a great process and thus deserve a good draft grade, even if every player busts. Um, and you'd love for that to be highlighted, even if it's not really a question. I think this is an interesting topic because as soon as we spend months talking about all of these prospects and all these draft available uh, rookies, and then the second the draft happens, everybody starts saying, we don't know anything about these guys. They've never taken a snap in the NFL. That guy could be anything. I, I think it's a mistake to treat players as complete unknowns heading into their first season. We don't know nothing about these guys. If we did, we wouldn't have spent the last two months evaluating them as prospects. The draft wouldn't be you know, a hierarchical order where draft picks have incredible value and the Jimmy Johnson chart you know, gets incredibly steep the higher up the draft you get. It would be like a random lottery, and it, it isn't that. So we do know something about these players. That's not to say that there, there still isn't the capacity for somebody to be you know, a massive bust in the first round, just be a disaster and, and everybody get it wrong, or to say that a guy in the sixth round won't turn out to be the best player in the draft. It's, it's not universal, but it isn't a complete unknown. It's not a complete lottery. Um, so I think you can dra- or grade picks as well as process. I, I agree that process needs to be a big part of it, but if you're drafting a guy in the first round who nobody else thought was a first rounder you know it was just a consensus like mid mid round guy nobody thought was going to be this high-end prospect i think you can give a draft grade to that to say that's just not a good pick um and i i you can definitely say that that's a process part of that as well but i think just generally you know we can treat draft players or rookies as if we know a little bit about them it's not a complete unknown i think um All right, here's one from somebody called Constantinos, who's an avid fan of the podcast from Cyprus, a little island in the Mediterranean, somewhere in the direction of Greece. Um, Currently based in London and has been following you, us, for the last three years. You guys made me fall in love with the game of football with the nuanced perspective that you try and introduce to the game. My question is the following. The main criticism that you normally have for quarterbacks is the fact that they hold the ball longer. Uh, But before making such a criticism and making a judgment, uh, we should make a judgment, rather, on whether the that impacted a quarterback's performance. Um, essentially, we should consider the potential circumstances that might have caused that. He then goes into a long kind of explanation about, you know, there are other elements out there that can impact or influence whether a quarterback holds onto the ball too long. So, you know, if, if bad play calling puts him in third and long situations where you're going to hold onto the ball longer than first and 10, where you're delivering a quick slant, I think it's a reasonable point, and I think the the point that we would make is that, look, the quarterback influences time to throw more than anything else out there. It's not to say that that's the only influence. Good coverage influences time to throw. Bad pass protection influences time to throw. Play calling influences time to throw. Um, scheme generally influences time to throw. All these things, but nothing moves the needle more than just the style of quarterback you have. And we've seen that before when you have quarterbacks change teams and in exactly the same offense, the time to throw is completely different. Um, So I I think it's not to say that, look, every single time a quarterback holds the ball, it's a bad play, it's a bad decision, it's bad process by that quarterback. But I think it is when we're we're using it on this show to say, hey, this is a, a thing that this quarterback does that's not necessarily a positive that potentially hurts teams um it's because it's a potential concern independent of the things we're talking about and yes you might be able to move the number a little bit by changing those other things but 
it's indicative of something that we've seen and that we're trying to articulate as a potential problem for these teams. So, you know, Justin Fields, I think, is the one that's come up in the last few weeks. Justin Fields' time to throw is high. But it's not that that's like the only issue we're talking about. It's that Justin Fields has this tendency to just be a tick slow with his process. Not that he can't read a defense or that he can't work through progression, but that the ball is going to be in his hands longer than it would be for most other quarterbacks in exactly the same scenario. And that is potentially um, an indication of this, uh, ten, uh, this trait that we've been talking about that whatever the opposite of press-resistant players is, pressure-resistant players, Justin Fields is just subs- a little bit susceptible to things going awry when that pressure arrives or when the blitz arrives or when he has to calculate on the fly against things that that change his process Um, and some quarterbacks i think do that incredibly well and justin fields doesn't do it as well as these other quarterbacks now the point i always make is that look even if he did struggle with that stuff the guy had three straight seasons of a 90 plus pff grade so how big a, a problem really is it um i don't know the answer to that question justin fields may end up being a 90 graded quarterback in the nfl being the next russell wilson being a phenomenal player we just don't know how much of an influence this negative trait is going to have. But I do understand that it's a negative trait that you can see on tape and that NFL teams would be scared of. NFL teams would shy away from because it is something that can go badly wrong and can limit you to a Tyrod Taylor kind of season or a kind of ceiling. And if you have that with Justin Fields, like it's a bad first round pick. So I, I think it's just exploring that area and then sitting back and seeing how it pans out for the Chicago Bears. Like, I'm, I'm optimistic about Fields as a player, but I do understand why he slid and why some teams would be scared of him. Um, okay, next question. Tony Catalano says, uh, essentially asked, is there a correlation between a player's size and injury rate, right? The Devontae Smith thing. Guy measured 166 pounds at the medical combine. So he's too small to play at the NFL level. He'll get injured. It's a problem, right? His essential question was, is that actually a proven thing or is it just old man yelling at clouds um, type of stuff? I don't remember where I read this, but I have read a report or a study that says actually it's almost the reverse, like the bigger players are. I think it was looking at quarterbacks more than anything else, but the bigger a player, a bigger a quarterback is, the more likely he's going to get injured. So Cam Newton's, Ben Roethlisberger's are more likely to get injured than a you know a six foot two, two hundred and ten pound quarterback who you would say is a small player for the position, and it's probably to do with how they play. You know, Ben Roethlisberger because he's two hundred and fifty five pounds or whatever is willing to take whatever hits you throw in his direction. Like if you think when you imagine Ben Roethlisberger in his NFL career, it's going to be hanging in the pocket with three guys draped all over him delivering a pass anyway. That is a hit that a 210-pound quarterback probably isn't taking. And if he is taking, he's taking it and going to the ground, not waiting for number two and number three to jump on the pile as well. Um, I don't know whether it extends to other positions, receivers, corners, etc., but I think it probably is. I, I don't think that just size correlates to your propensity to break, like bone snapping, muscles tearing. It's... I don't think size is the driving force behind that. Um, All right, next question. This is from somebody on Twitter called Chansey. How many replacement level players does it take on an offense to offset a true franchise quarterback? Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, et cetera, et cetera. So 
I was curious about this. This is not like, this is definitely not the, <laughs> the R&D approved uh, answer to this question, but I was just down and dirty, rough and ready fashion. Let's go and look at the Tampa Bay Bucks last year. Tom Brady, according to PFF War, was worth 4.35 wins above replacement. So essentially, Tom Brady is a, you know, an additional four and a half wins to this team based off whatever random quarterback you're going in there. The rest of the offense, so two running backs, top three wide receivers, and I'm actually giving them 12 players here. Um, two, uh, top running backs, top two running backs, top three receivers, uh, Gronk, the offensive tackles, the offensive guards, and the center were worth something like two and a half wins uh, above replacement. I actually worked this out and then managed to delete that number. Uh, so bear with me while I crank it out right here. Uh, but I think it was worth something like, uh, yeah, there you go, 2.25 wins above replacement. So essentially Tom Brady is worth more than the rest of the offense put together if you swap those guys out with replacement players. Now, that's probably not, it's not as clean as that, right? Because as soon as you replace his receiving weapons and his offensive line with replacement level players, Tom Brady's uh, war is going to go down. Like it's it's going to be influenced by the players around him. So it's not as clean as that, but it highlights the point that we've been making the whole way along. That look, I know people get frustrated sometimes with the quarterback, quarterback, quarterback way of approaching the league, right? God, let's talk about some other positions. But quarterback is it. Like, quarterback is everything. It is the most important position. There's a reason that Patrick Mahomes gets a half a billion dollar contract. If anything, the data says that, like, those guys are still underpaid with the percentage of the salary cap that they are taking up. They should be getting paid even more. They're worth even more than that than you think they are. And this, it kind of sums it up, right? Like, on very abstract terms, Tom Brady is worth significantly more to that team than everybody else on offense put together. And it kind of makes sense. Like when you look at the difference between Brady and even Jameis Winston, who isn't a re replacement level quarterback, it's night and day. It's, it's bumbling along, hoping we make the playoffs one year to we're Super Bowl champions and we're arguably the best team in the NFL. That's the power of an elite quarterback on an NFL team. It's why the Chiefs can do basically anything they want in, in, in the course of an offseason. And they're going to be favorites heading into every single season because they have Patrick Mahomes. It's why Seattle can watch that team crumble around them. The Legion of Boom, like, look at that defense now. Doesn't matter. Russell Wilson's there. They're one of the favorites for the division. They're going to be contending every single year. Um, so, yeah, quarterback is basically everything. Um, it's It seems like a, an obvious thing, but that's why we dedicate so much time to it. That's why a lot of our you know negativity show, a lot of the, the reasons for pessimism, was your quarterback. It was those teams that don't have a quarterback that's capable of elevating everything around them and, and taking it to the next level. Um, so that's the, the rough and ready answer to that one. That's it for our, uh, for our questions. I'm going to pull out one of the names that I just uh, went through in terms of questions. And one of, that, one of those guys will win a free PFF subscription. But that'll do it for the, the semi, semi solo show. Me here on my own. Next Monday, I believe Steve is back in the office, fresh off the vacation. I don't know if he's fresh off the fro. We'll have to see whether that, that survived Florida or not. Um, Chris, thank you. Huge thank you to Chris for being on the show. Go to the Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman. Download, subscribe that. Download, subscribe to the, the Two for One podcast with Austin Gale and Mike Renner, who was here Monday. Download the forecast. Subscribe to that. Subscribe to all the PFF shows. I will be back on Monday. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and Austin and Chris, minus Steve. The, uh, the combination, Sam and Steve, the, the fish, will be back on Monday. Uh, thanks for listening. Take it easy.